Hi, I'm Sarah Manili, and this is Sustainably Speaking, the podcast aimed at raising awareness about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. These goals were adopted by the United Nations in 2015 as a universal call to action to end poverty, protect the planet, and ensure that by 2030, all people enjoy peace and prosperity. The SDGs call upon all countries to come together in a global partnership to improve health and education, tackle climate change, and much more. In 2021, Georgian College in Ontario, Canada officially joined the global movement of United Nations Sustainable Development Goals by signing the SDG Accord. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the importance of making positive change in the world. We will share inspiring stories of organizations and individuals who are taking strides toward meeting these goals. And through these stories, we hope to inspire you to take up the challenge as well. Join us in our mission to make a difference and create a better future for our planet. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Sustainably Speaking. Today we have with us Vince Paco and Julian Ross, both of whom work here at Georgian College as academic program technologists. Hey guys, thank you for being here. Vince and Julian do a ton of work around our sustainability efforts here at the college and specifically within uh, the hospitality, tourism and recreation department. So I would love to hear all about them today, if you're all right with that. For sure. Okay. So first, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your background and what you do here at Georgian. I'll start with you, Vince. Well, I do a lot of different things at Georgian. I'm a faculty member as well as being a technician. I teach in the culinary arts program mostly, but also a little bit for other programs, dual credit and things like that. So lots of different roles. Yes, as well as all the things you do outside. Yes, correct. With our garden. Yep. I've been at Georgian College for just over 10 years now. Mostly as part-time teacher, but uh, moved into a technologist role as well and started gardening a few years ago for sure at the college. So basically, Vince and Julian do everything is what they're saying. So what I wanted to start with is this garden. It's very cool on-campus garden that we have. Uh, Julian, you'll probably be best to speak to how it started and the details around that. Yeah, for sure. So in 2019, I believe, uh, near the beginning of COVID, um, there was um, a lot of a little, a little bit more downtime for a lot of faculty, and there was always the plan of bringing back a garden that we used to have. We got a few bulldozers of of dirt and a couple of boards of wood, and about ten faculty coming to help out. And within a day or two, the garden pretty much started. It was incredible how fast it it really can start. I love that. And I think it's great because, you know, sometimes you just have to start. Sometimes it seems like an overwhelming project. Yeah, for sure. And then you just have to start and make the best of it, right? And then that's how you learn and, and get way better at it. Yeah. Well, that's it. You, you have to have a starting point. And then since then, we've, we've definitely built up and expanded and improved all our different systems. So that's yeah, always a project in the works. So, And how, how about how big is it now? I think about uh, 4,000 square feet between all the plots of land. A little more with now the pollinator gardens and things like that. But yeah, Absolutely. yeah, we have one, one large main plot and then many subsidiary plots. So that's a, yeah. it makes a quick calculation a little bit difficult, but... Yeah. And we've got lots of planters all over uh, the campus, so it's it's hard to tell exactly what we have. But <laughs> lots of lots of things, and also seeing where else we can take over more land too. Yeah, foods and yeah, things like that. And I know that there's a million things that you grow there, but what do you? What would you say you grow the most? Maybe is that the easiest way to? Uh, sure, we grow a lot of um, we grow a lot of salad greens. Mm -hmm. um, we've had good success with various root crops. 
carrots and, and beets and things like that. We have a lot of berries that we harvest. We have strawberries and raspberries and blackberries. And we're experimenting with a lot of different things to see what fits with our, our climate and our situation here at the college. And, you know, various, um, you know, things are ready at certain times, but our classes don't necessarily run during those times. So kind of absolutely making, uh, just experimenting with things and seeing what works out best. So it's a work in progress as always. Yeah, for sure. And I know the students take part in this as well in terms of harvesting and using it in the classroom. Can you speak a little bit to their participation? Yeah, so we have a big um, kind of our, our calendar year through the, I would say, late February, we start growing our, our starts indoors mm-hmm. for, for our seedlings. And then we kind of do that through late winter and spring. And then you usually we have a big kind of volunteer day where we get everything planted around the May long weekend. Um, faculty and students and just whoever whoever wants to participate um, and then throughout the summer semester I like going into the classrooms and grabbing a couple of students and taking them out there and trying to harvest their their greens and their sprouts and all the different things that they need for their course that day mm-hmm. um, and getting that kind of sorted out so it's kind of kind of flexible availability who's available to do what when and then just a couple of us that are kind of the uh, the foundation of, of the work that gets done Throughout the years, we've been trying to organize it where closest to the uh, culinary classes, uh, especially the Georgian dining, we've been trying to put some of the edible flowers and herbs right outside the door so that all the students can at least just grab some herbs as they need it for class. And even in um, some of the other uh, classes, they, they run out there to get all the herbs fresh. And so that's that's perfect. At least they don't have to go all the way to the, to the larger garden. Yeah, for that kind of well, I'm glad you mentioned that because in addition to our very large garden, we also have that all the beautiful herbs and flowers right on the patio of the Georgian dining yeah. room, which is amazing as well. Yeah. It's beautiful this year. Yeah, we've got lots of, yeah, the quick grab-and-go stuff. It's the, the patio garden is, is right next to one of our main kitchens, so that's what makes it uh, easily accessible for students. And like I said, when, when I come to, to uh, get a couple of students to go to the main garden, harvest some some bigger stuff, it is a more, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot more uh, time-consuming. Well, not, not time-consuming, but it's, you need a little bit more planific or planification. Oh, yeah. so. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> like yeah, that. You, you, need, you need to have you need to have a little bit of time to get out there and, and do it properly. Yeah, for sure. And I imagine that it would kind of it could potentially with class time. You have very specific things you need to accomplish in a class, and I know how busy yeah. those labs are. So taking extra time out to you've got to plan that. I'm sure as best you can. Yeah, and that's like the, each each class has their own goals and their own kind of timeframes of availability. So it's uh, it's kind of meshing with that as a technician to see who's available and who you can kind of pull for out of a classroom mm-hmm. to uh, to get some of the fresh stuff out. Yeah. And it's interesting with uh, classes like Garden Manger, um where there's a lot of pickling and jarring. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been trying to get varieties of cucumbers that are better for pickling, or uh, the beets are really just in time for for uh that class too for drying and yeah and it's just trying to expand that hopefully eventually we could get more into spring and and more winter harvesting with uh hoop houses and stuff like that but that's in the future that's, that's Ooh, i need to know what is a hoop house or like uh it's just kind of like a mesh or plastic yeah over rows of your plants, so usually kale or spinach, mustard greens. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a lower tech greenhouse. Usually, when you start talking about greenhouses, you're talking about a structure with glass panes or um, you know bigger plastic panes. 
but a hoop house is just it's just like it sounds it's basically like half circles made out of either pvc or metal that you just fill fabric over okay um and they can be small right right just going over just a row to like a hoop house usually implies something a little bit larger so you can go from kind of right down the granular just over one row of vegetables to something that would encompass you know an entire garden just expand that season two months in the spring and two months, hopefully two months in the fall. Yeah, so like when you get into like unheated hoop houses and greenhouses, there's season extenders, right? So you yeah. start a little early, fin- finish a little later. Well, I know that would be great for us too, just in terms of uh, class timing and semesters and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And Vince, I know you installed a new irrigation system, which I was actually really, I, I loved it. And I took a lot of pictures. So can you yep. just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we installed a drip irrigation system. Um, and the reason behind that, first and foremost, is labor. Um, we've had kind of a hodgepodge of, of watering systems and sprinklers and timers, and they get moved around by the grounds people when they're mowing grass, and it just makes makes the whole thing very kind of time-consuming and stressful. If you know we're closed for a week or gone for a long weekend, like what's the garden going to look like when we get back? Mm-hmm. Um, so installing the drip irrigation was very helpful this year. Absolutely. So yeah, the main, the main thing was labor, but it's, it also has other benefits. So it saves on water. Which is so, great. Yeah. So the sprinkler system sprays a lot of water up into the air and that evaporates. Right. So if you're, if you're paying for water, um, that can be a concern to a lot of people. And the other thing it does is it, it waters the ground as opposed to watering like stems and leaves. Mm-hmm. So if you get into watering stems and leaves, you're more prone to mildew and mold and kind of other diseases that spread on plants. Yes. Yeah, drip irrigation really like waters a plant at its roots, which is, is beneficial for a lot of health reasons for the plants. Yeah. And even tomatoes, they don't like to be watered from above too much as yeah. well. So, yeah. yeah. And it's good to water plants from above every now and again, sure. but too much definitely leads to, uh, to mold. So in addition to the drip irrigation system, you did do some spring, like some... Yeah, I didn't go 100% drip. So we went, our drip irrigation is kind of in our main garden. Mm-hmm. Um, so that basically took care of that whole plot of land. But because we have so many different like little planter boxes and things kind of all over the place, it's hard to get drip irrigation in all those different areas. So sometimes overhead overhead watering is, is basically all you can do. Right. But just getting a system down that most of that happens automatically really kind of removes a huge labor component and a lot of you know a lot of people who garden that's the main detractors is is the amount of time that they have to put into it so that really saves a lot on that absolutely and you brought up the beds and i did actually want to ask you about those those raised beds that you built this summer with students i I did take some pictures of that as well um so what are the benefits of the raised beds how do they work Okay, and uh, what it, what, it, what essentially it happens is um, you start off with rotting big logs underneath. Okay. Uh, that probably have a lot of live organic matter in it, so and a lot of like mycelium, which is like mushroom roots kind of things. Okay. Yeah. So um, and that kind of also helps keep the moisture longer underneath, as well as having good bacteria for things to grow. Uh, and then after underneath those big logs, uh, we put just sticks and just a little more fresh wood. Right. And then some some leaves and then some, some rotting leaves and then some dirt on top. And so that's it's more of a long-term kind of... Uh, yeah, it's more of a permaculture principle. Exactly. Thank you. So, yeah, so they, they tend to retain a lot of moisture and a lot of nutrients, so thereby making your, your planting kind of more carefree mm-hmm. again or in your gardens or in your food forest. I mean, this takes a lot of dedication and and knowledge. I mean, you must be constantly researching these techniques. Yeah, which is a lot of fun as well. And even um, just the other day, actually, or just last night, actually, um, 
I was watching a video about uh, phosphorus and uh, how to get that kind of nutrient to your plants. Um, and essentially what they were saying is just having rocks, as simple as just having rocks around your garden. Mm -hmm. And there's enough phosphorus in the rocks that as the rain comes down, it'll it'll drip onto, into your into your dirt, and then uh, the plants get enough phosphorus from it that way. So just little simple things like that. Yeah, so it's, it's always interesting to see what your... Uh, what the longevity of these projects look like. It's it's pretty amazing. Like, I mean, I, wrote, I started here in 2021, and it was a great garden then. Mm -hmm. But then to this year alone, like the, the growth, everything has been expanded upon in mm -hmm. such an amazing way. Yeah, and even the quick, simple things like um, to get rid of weeds, which is such a time consumer. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. uh, Vince, Vince came up with the black. Oh, yeah, the... Uh, kind of silage tarps and coverage so yeah that, that's another gardening uh, method or even small-scale farming um just just using fabrics and plastics as as grain cover mm -hmm. so instead of spending a lot of time you know weeding and things like that if you just cover your soil with fabrics and cloths that block out light you kill basically all the stuff that's underneath and then once you peel the fabric back that you can basically go straight to planting so by tilling you're actually creating more weeds in your garden Oh, I see. Um, so, yeah, so with, with no-till, you're just layering on compost, and you're not trying to till anything to try and keep that weed pressure down, which is, again, you know, watering is a big time consumer, but so is weeding, right? So anything yeah. that can help with, with that, yeah, it's... Uh, that's just another method that we're implementing. Yeah, that's great. I know. And you mentioned composting and I, and I did want to talk about that too, because I know our culinary programs do a, a huge, a great program with composting out of the, of the labs and, and use in the, in the gardens. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So it's a, it's, it's not a super complex process, but I'll, I'll start from the garden end. Okay. Um, so in the garden, we have very simple, we just have kind of wooden bins, mm -hmm. And there's different methods of composting, and, and some require more work than others. And because we're always strapped for time, we're trying to pick the method that's the least amount of work. Mm -hmm. um, but usually the least amount of work equals the most amount of time you need to wait for things to happen. Right. So, um, yeah, so we've got very simple wooden bins that we just put uh, kitchen scraps in. So the way we collect our kitchen scraps is we've got plastic buckets that we distribute to the classrooms. Yes. Um, and both the, the teachers and the uh, students are instructed to only keep vegetable scraps um, and then the vegetable scraps are collected and we have a kind of a collection point in one of our walk-in fridges where we kind of refrigerate stuff because uh, one of the main problems with composting is that it, it can smell right yes and, and depending on how much time you have to, to move buckets out to the garden you might be delayed by a couple of days right. refrigerating the stuff is helpful and luckily in the culinary department we have big fridges um, yeah, when we collect the buckets three or four times a week and then bring them to the garden and dump them in, and now it's the waiting game. So we're letting basically nature take its course, and we're letting fungus and earthworms and all that good stuff um, tackle the compost. We're not doing any turning of the compost. We, we do that maybe once a year. Okay. You know, if the more often you turn, the quicker you can get the decomp to happen, but... Again, it's it's a time-based thing, and we, we don't have any. So Right. No, and I have seen yeah. you hauling out yeah. the compost several times. So Yeah, yeah yes. it's uh, it's quite the thing, wheeling, you know, dozens of buckets of compost through the, the main atrium <laughs> in campus and people wondering why you've got these buckets of rotting vegetables. But It's all um, for a good cause. Yeah, hopefully they see the good vegetables coming back in the other direction. I didn't do the full math for this year quite just yet. For this, uh, like last year, we, we made about... Uh, five thousand. Uh, sorry, five hundred kilos of produce, and we we put about 
350 kilos of compost, uh, like food waste, yeah. into the bins last year. That's incredible. So, so and it's, it's a lot that doesn't go to the landfill. So it's, it's an incredible amount of work that you've taken on in addition to, you know, everything else. Well, it's fun. And, and we are lucky that we have good bosses that let us. Yeah, it's just an interesting side project. Well, and I feel like, you know, having your hands in all of those things really does make it a completely holistic kind of a, approach to all of it, especially when it comes to our sustainability efforts and working towards our sustainable development goal mandates and, and those kinds of things. It is, we're doing an incredible job in our department. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, and of course, other departments here at the college, but we know the most about ours. So yeah. um, I think that's great. And this year we introduced pollinator gardens and mm-hmm. no mow zones which I think is wonderful. Do you want to speak a little bit to why we did that and the benefits? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think um, just a lot of cities uh, around in, around Canada, even we, they're getting a lot more into no-mo zones, uh, which is essentially, they even have a system called no-mo may. And okay. you don't, you're not supposed to touch anything in May uh, just to give a lot of bugs and, and, and things a lot of time in, the, in, in May to start getting, getting to... And the, sorry, and the birds and things, to, just to be able to uh, just have a have got right, get started, started. So because it's brand new. And a lot of people don't even think about it, but there's there's ecosystems within the city, yeah. right? right? So yes. there's there's all kinds of insects and birds, but even like small mammals and all these things are are basically part of nature. If you you know if you move straight to mowed lawns, mm-hmm. it's not good for anything. If if you start looking at statistics of the amount of insects that we've lost, like tonnage of insects per year, and, and the amount of like birds and bird species, and um, it's it's these statistics are are scary, yeah. Yeah. right? So any anything that you can leave behind in a natural state, right? Like nature has a great way of taking care of itself. So yes, the more you leave kind of open random fields, the more all these things benefit. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's important to, um, you know, again, it can seem overwhelming when we're trying to meet all of these goals and to, you know, protect the bees and uh, promote the pollinators. Mm -hmm. But it just takes every individual even, you know, we're doing this at at a college level, we have a little Mm -hmm. bit more land, but, you know, to to grow a pollinator garden somewhere on your property, or, you know, those types of things can be done at the individual level, too. Absolutely. Sure. And when you talk about initiative and best practices. Yes. One of the main things I think is to start small and build up. You don't need to do everything all at once. Mm-hmm. Just start one thing. Absolutely. Like it's a potted plant or you know, a tomato or a grow bag out in your backyard or your patio and just really start small and then as you learn and expand and enjoy it, then then build up, right? There, there's nothing worse than starting a huge project and watching the whole thing flop when you could have some done something half the size and been successful. Absolutely, I agree with that. And my recommendation there, too, is, is just to stay low-tech, right? We yep. talked about composting earlier, and there's all kinds of composting machines and things that you can have on your kitchen counter and giant, you know, 40-foot shipping containers that digest the food and spit out dirt. And all these things are fantastic, but sometimes just keeping it low-cost, low-tech, you get results that are 90% as good for 99% less effort and time and money. Is In your opinions, which SDG do you think has made the most progress so far? Responsible consumption and production? Yes. So if you look at what we're doing here specifically at the college and specifically in our program area, there's a big push for like grow local, use local. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're growing our own vegetables, uh, not all of them, but as much as we can. Mm-hmm. 
So that's part of it. We're not spending a lot of fossil fuels getting these things delivered because we're growing them in-house. Yep. So that's the consumption piece. I know in some of our programming, we're, we've gone to reusable containers. And, and the responsible production is always, that goes with even other business-based principles yes. of not over-consuming and just producing what you need, what you can sell, yes. and not having excessive waste. Yes. Uh, but that's always been a thing in kitchens, right? We're always we're always down to the last dime in kitchens, and you know that's that's how it's always been in our industry. So not not creating more than we need is is kind of innate in us. Yes, and that's exactly it. Even for ordering uh, products now, we used to have fry oil, for example, in these big tubs that have absolutely no other use than just big tubs. But since we started the compost problems, buckets are a lot more useful for us. Uh, so we switched from having these silly tubs to uh, buckets that at least now we, they're plastic still, but at you least we have another them. use for them. Yes. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're reusing those buckets. That was a great, yeah, that was a great one. And we just have to bring in buckets. It's just kind of reusing the containers that stuff comes in. It's just mm-hmm. an easy one. Yeah, and even squeeze bottles for certain uh, sauces because uh, we could always use squeeze bottles in classes. So if, if I ha- if there's an option between a jar or a squeeze bottle now, I'll just get those so that we don't have to waste more plastic there yeah. yes but, yeah and then so, something that uh, i heard on the radio um that we're doing well with is i know georgian was promoting a housing initiative yes of stay with a senior i think they called it mm-hmm. so we're kind of matching students who are looking for housing with people in the community that you know a could use a little bit of money for rent but b could also use some company and some help around the house i love so that i mean some of the sdgs are obvious right and yep. you can obviously feel how to make a difference in those but there are things like that that maybe you don't think as much about yeah. but you you know you are actually making or we are actually making a difference when you drill down into the sdgs even the ones that you may not think we're meeting yeah like yeah. so like Number 11 is sustainable cities and communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's a great one for our local community. You know, like Definitely. basically everywhere in Canada, we're in some form of housing crisis or another, whether yes. it's actual availability or just straight price. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes it very difficult to, uh, for people to live and work, for sure. All right. Well, I, I really appreciate both of you being on the podcast today. I know you have a wealth of knowledge. We could probably talk for the next hour on different initiatives. Maybe I'll have you back again. Talk about everything new that we're going to do next year. Nice. All right. Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was great. Great. Right.